This episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. You're listening to the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kalatni. Welcome back, everyone. We have a really fun show for you this week. As usual, we're going to go over this week's love and sex-related headlines. But very quickly, first, we're going to segue into Noah's tan. Ladies and gentlemen, Noah is very, (laughs) very tan right now, and I would like to know why. I went to Miami for my birthday. I just turned 38 years old, if you can believe that. I can't believe that. And, um, you know, when it's my birthday, I like to do a resolution Okay. Instead of like on New Year's. Right. Even though I think I do them on New Year's too. But so because it's like a new year. So I've decided to have even better sex than I've been having. So how how does one I don't know. That's just the resolution. Okay. First, so it doesn't necessarily is, there's not like a, not a like plan. a plan. No. Okay. But I'm recommitting myself to uh, engaging in the pursuit of really great sex this year. I would invite everyone listening, whether it was your birthday on Sunday or not. To, to take that journey with me. Whatever you're into. <laughs> um, we're also going to share an interview Noah had with Kate McCombs, a sex and relationship educator. That's right. And finally, we've also got some listener questions to answer, including one from a man who says he likes watching peeping Tom porn, but he wants to know if there's a way to do it ethically. Hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But first, let's get into the headlines. Thanks to a new giving functionality by a porn distributor called IJustCame.org, masturbating just got a lot more philanthropic. So it's pretty straightforward, but it's actually really interesting. So you're watching a porno film on this website, and then there's a button at the bottom, and you press it when you come. Right. So the company donates one cent to charity each time you come, which... Raises a couple of questions. It does. What What are you thinking? Like, how can they tell if you actually came here or if you're cheating? Right. But also, so they're donating one cent per per orgasm. Yeah. Which seems, I mean, I don't want to bash on anyone who's giving to charity or giving away part of their profits, but it seems maybe a little bit more of a clever PR trick than a genuine philanthropic effort. Right. But let's not underestimate how many people are watching porn. That's a really good point. Or how many orgasms people are having. Right. You're but right. I would invite people to go to IJustCame.org and click that button even if you didn't come. Now we're cheating. I think it's okay to cheat in this instance. I feel like we should just encourage everyone to come. To come. That's a great idea. Yeah. And then no one has to feel guilty and we're getting charity. Amazing. It's a great idea. Okay. Our next story is about a 63-year-old conceptual artist who's named Sun Ping. And Sun Ping has been banned from China's government-led artist association for his latest series of controversial videos. Okay, so what's so controversial about them? The series featured footage of a woman painting traditional Chinese calligraphy with her vagina. If that's confusing, let me paint a picture. Instead of holding the paintbrush in her hand, she held it in her vagina. <laughs> This is amazing. The Chinese Art Association justified their decision by saying that sexual calligraphy was vulgar and that it had an adverse effect and brought considerable damage onto Chinese society. Hmm. What do you think? I just think it's funny. Yeah. Because I picture someone like painting with their toes. Right. And then like, but then when you think of the paintbrush in the vagina... Oh my god! Can you can we imagine like the the muscle it must yeah. take to wield a paintbrush with your vagina? Like because you're having to like brush straight. It's not just like hold it up there. Okay, it's like actually think, there's movement. But do you think the vagina is moving the paintbrush, or do you think that 
she has the paintbrush no, in there and she's I'm like moving journalist. her hips. I oh. watched Oh, you the watched video. the video. So wait, the vagina's actually moving. Oh, yes. I mean, wow. she's moving too, but the the vagina has has a lot of muscle in the game. But I believe that because you hear about those like very stereotypical shows like that take place in, in places. In Asia. Yeah, or like yeah, Tijuana or something. Right. Where people are shooting ping pong balls out of there and like, oh yeah, you know, crushing Darts. tin cans and yeah, d- hitting dartboards. So why not paint? Yep. So here's what I think. I don't think Sun Ping should be kicked out of the Artists Association, but I feel like the real artist here is the one who is painting with her vagina yeah. and not necessarily the dude who's filming it on a camcorder. Right. But how typical is that? I know exactly. Men get all of the credit. Just hashtag misogyny. <laughs> Speaking of, no, maybe not, but Ashley Madison. You remember Ashley Madison? Yes. It was the website for cheaters where you could find someone to cheat on your spouse with. Mm-hmm. Um, they are coming back. It was about a year ago when that hack happened. Mm-hmm. And like millions of people's names or, you know, thousands of people's names got distributed. And right. All these I think people, it was hundreds of thousands. So many people. And now they're back and they're trying to get people to come back to Ashley Madison. Right. And they're doing it with a series of TV ads, and the ads are aiming to tone down the cheating rhetoric and amp up the discretion. Yeah, so they're basically trying to market themselves to like to the polyamorous community or to open relationships. So it's like, come back to us. You can find a partner to explore with. Right. But I was reading an interview, and they they weren't saying they're moving away from the cheating aspect either. No, I think they're just trying to give. I think the, the ads that they're producing and their branding is trying to sort of give off that vibe to right. make people feel a little more comfortable with yeah. it. Yeah, because I think people were really uncomfortable with this website. I mean, not that many people, obviously, because a lot of people were still using it. But Tons. the idea that, like, you would go to a website just to find someone to cheat on your spouse with right. doesn't sit well, at least publicly with right. people. So. What do you think? Is it going to save this company? Was is, is the company destroyed? Where are we at? No, I think that human beings, one, do cheat, are looking, are at least titillated by the idea of it. I think Ashley Madison's going to be back with flying colors and people are going to be signing up left and right. You don't think the privacy thing? I mean, I agree with you. People are obviously going to cheat, but you don't think this isn't going to cause no. some people to be like, maybe I'll go find someone at the local bar to cheat on my wife with. People are dumb, too. You remember the oh Sony God, hacks so that dumb. happened? Yep. And everyone was like, from now on, be really careful with your email. Don't put anything personal in there. Don't, you know. And everyone did it for like three days. Right. And now everyone's back to just their emails are full of incriminating evidence about everything. Yeah. So I think that people have very short memories and very are very horny. Can we just time out? What are your emails full of, Noah? Oh, my God. You don't even want to know. I don't. I'm looking at our producer. I'm like, I don't think I have anything that incriminating on my emails. I think maybe that makes me kind of boring. Yeah, you should work. That can be your resolution for this year for you. More You're going to work incriminating on incriminating emails. So if someone hacks my email, I need to be in serious trouble, either with the police or the moral cops. Yeah. All right. Um, so Snapchat, the uber popular messaging app, is facing down a lawsuit from concerned parents who say the company is serving up PG-13 and R-rated content to its predominantly tween and teen audience. Right. So like any other platform like Facebook or Twitter, they're not creating the content itself. Right. The content is coming from partners through the messaging apps Discover Publishing Suite. Right. So the parents behind the suit are angry that publishers like BuzzFeed, Vice, and Cosmo are publishing content with titles like, I got high, blown, and robbed when I was a pizza delivery guy. Fuck buddies talk about how they kept it casual. And people share their secret rules for sex. 
You know, the thing about it is, this is like anything. This is like when Tipper Gore wanted to, you know, censor um, song lyrics and things like right. that. For me, it's always like, it's about the parents. Right. If your kids are on Snapchat, you should know what they're looking at. Yeah. And you should be monitoring that because there are people like me, probably people like you, who want to read articles like that. And we don't want things to be censored just because there might be a kid. It was like that story about in Utah where they were trying to take porn off of cell phones. Right. Remember? Yeah. Because they didn't want kids to get a hold of it. And again, it's like, then don't let your kid use a cell phone to get porn. Well, and that's exactly what BuzzFeed said when they were asked for a comment. They said, the content we share on our Snapchat Discover channel is part of our frank and well-loved coverage of the whole range of human experience, and we're glad our audience enjoys it. The notion that positive, frank, and humorous coverage of sex is obscene could only occur to someone who has literally never looked at the internet. Right, and that's a bigger issue, too, is just, again, it goes back to the idea that there's something dirty about sex. Right. And we have to protect children from anything sexual. Well, and also sort of this, like, mirage of, like, a safe space for teens and tweens on the Internet. Like, it's right. it's not, you know? If, no. If, if you're a kid and, like, come on, like, I, I know five-year-olds with iPads. Like, right. if they, they're getting these devices, they're getting online, they know how to use it better than you do, they yep. can get past your parental locks. Like, you need to have conversations with your children. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. 100%. Chill out, parents. And do your work. Yep, exactly. Be a parent. Be a parent. We're going to take a quick pause, but stick around. In a minute, we're going to share a conversation Noah had with sex educator Kate McCombs about why adults should consider taking sex ed classes. And we're going to be answering more questions from you, our listeners. So don't miss it. Before we get back to the show, have you found Love and Sex on iTunes? iTunes is one of the best places for people to discover our podcast. So please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and give us a review to let us know what you think. Each time we get a new review or rating, our podcast climbs the rankings, which helps other people discover our show. And in turn, that spreads sex positivity throughout the land. And if you've already found us on iTunes, lure a friend into your car for a 30-ish minute drive around the peninsula (laughs) and make them listen to our show because once they've listened once, they're going to be hooked. All right, let's get back to the show. Now we're going to share Noah's interview with Kate McCombs. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Let's start at the very beginning. Why do adults need sex ed? I think it's something, obviously, that we think about happening in junior high or high school. But to me, at least, it makes total sense and is very important that adults do it, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the main reasons why adults need sex ed is because they didn't get it when they were young people. In some of my workshops about sexual communication, we often talk about, did the sex ed you got in school prepare you for your adult sex life? And it's pretty much universally a big fat no. Right. (laughs) Because even if you get, you know, quote, comprehensive sex ed, you might get information about birth control and ideally healthy relationships. But usually you don't get information about pleasure and you don't get information about how to actually manage your adult romantic and sexual relationships. Mm -hmm. So that's what you do. That's what I do. So for you, what, what is sexual education for adults? What does that consist of? I think a lot of it is about pleasure because mm. that seems to be something that people want to know about uh, pretty extensively since it's most of the people that come to a pleasure workshop have had relatively little formal education in that. They might have read some articles in mainstream magazines and things like that, but the basics of pleasure physiology are usually new. Mm-hmm. So that feels really exciting to get to share that with people. Yeah. yeah. 
The other piece of the puzzle is the communication piece. That's something that a lot of people really struggle with. And even if they don't identify communication as being the the knowledge gap, that's usually what underlies a lot of sexual problems. Right. What are the people like who are coming to your workshops? Oh, you know, so diverse. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> How, are, are they people who you feel like don't know what they're doing in the bedroom? Or is it people who feel like they do, but they want more? Or what is it? Yeah, I think... The people who actually are going to, in their spare time, go to an adult sex education class and pay for it are people, I think, who have a a baseline higher level of sexual literacy than maybe the average person. Mm -hmm. I think that one of my... Uh, one of my professional duties is answering questions on a forum. Okay. And those are people who I think have lower, generally have lower level, levels of sexual literacy because they're just Googling their problems and writing into a forum. Right. So I think that the workshop people have that higher higher level of experience, but they're wanting to upgrade it basically. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny. When I was a kid, um, my family had HBO. Uh-huh. And I would watch the real <laughs> sex shows, you know. And I remember this one. There was one about, like, a sex workshop and it was really kind of terrifying to me, I have to say, especially as maybe a 10 or a 12-year-old. But, like, everyone was naked and they were sort of, like, giving each other orgasms or yeah. they were doing some kind of tantric thing. And it just – it was terrifying. Yeah. I think maybe some people, that's what they think is going to happen. Yes. I've had people ask me directly, do I need to take my clothes off? Right. And they're like, no, no, no. This is – it's very much like the kind of sex ed you'd get in high school, only tailored for what adults want and need to know. Right. Everyone keeps their clothes on. Yeah. Nobody has to share anything about their personal sex life. It's I, part of my job is making people feel as comfortable as possible. Yeah. And I think there's a role for for workshops like that. A hundred percent. Like Betty Dotson's workshops. Which are amazing. Right, yeah. right. But uh, I think uh, it, it does give people a little more fear about what it is that I do right. and how that, how that situates with their comfort level. Well, I think, too, you know, I want to talk about just our culture in general and the way that we think about sex. Because on the one hand— so much of what we're obsessed with as a culture. If you mm-hmm. look at Hollywood and the media and entertainment, all of it is so obsessed with sex. But at the same time, like you were saying earlier, people don't get sex ed or we're shamed about our sex. So what do you think what do you think about where we're at right now in 2016 in terms of sex and what people understand and, and what they need to understand? Absolutely. I think there's this obviously huge need to be talking about sex in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Like often when I'm asked to distill what it is that I do and why I do what I do, it's to create spaces for meaningful conversations about sex and feelings. Because mm-hmm. I think those two things are very interrelated and we're we're not good at talking about those two things in a way that actually promotes more joy and wellness in our lives. Yep. So I think we can talk about what celebrity is doing whom yeah. <laughs> with a fair amount of comfort, right. but actually talking about the stuff that feels vulnerable to us and what you know what actually leads us to happy, satisfying se- sexual and romantic lives mm-hmm. is much more limited. Yeah. How did you get involved with this? I think people must be listening and thinking, oh, she must be like a crazy sex woman. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? I often get that. So how, what was your background? How did you get involved? Yeah, it's actually – I've been doing this for – as long as I can remember, mm. uh, I got fantastic sex education from my mom about puberty and reproduction. Yep. I vividly remember sitting across a booth from her uh-huh. at a round table pizza because that was what was really exciting <laughs> to a seven-year-old. Yep. And her just explaining to me in a very matter-of-fact way about the way periods worked mm-hmm. and the way puberty works and the way babies are made. And I remember at one point asking her when she was explaining the whole penis and vagina thing uh, – I asked her, does that hurt? And right. she said, you know, actually, when it's with someone that you really care about, it can feel really good. 
So I got this age-appropriate, pleasure-inclusive sex ed at this young age. So I was answering my friends' questions about their puberty experiences before I had even started my own period. Interesting, (laughs) interesting. So I think I just, from a young age, I got it positively reinforced over and over again that I had this knowledge and this comfort talking about something that other people didn't know about and weren't comfortable talking about. Right. So then I got to college and I learned that this was a real job. Yeah. (laughs) And I got a position doing sex ed um, on the UC Berkeley campus Ah. and involving wearing a penis costume and (laughs) handing out condoms and lube to people. Like people do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. And then I got got to train other sex educators on campus how to do that work. And it just just all snowballed from there. Yeah, you're doing the Lord's work, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I know you do specific workshops, like you have one about, I think it's called Pleasure Upgrade. Yeah. So what is that workshop about? So Pleasure Upgrade is a combination of female pleasure physiology and communication skills. Because mm. I really think that a fantastic sex life is built on that knowledge and that technique and the ability to communicate about it clearly and in a way that meets your partner where they're at. Yeah. So that workshop's all about combining those two things. And what are the other workshops that you do? So the workshop I've been doing most lately is this workshop called Tea and Empathy. Hmm. It's not explicitly a sex workshop, but it's all about how to build your empathy skills. And all of the participants get to receive empathy from a small group of the other participants as well as practice giving it. Interesting. And so it's kind of a – it's almost a wellness workshop. People leave feeling kind of – uh, it's it's quite cathartic because right. they get to be seen about something that's going on for them yeah. as well as have this this skill set for how to show up better for people in their lives. Right. It's such a fun workshop to teach. I love doing it. It makes me think of my New Year's resolution for 2016 was to have more intimate encounters mm. because I have a lot of sex, uh-huh. but it oftentimes is there's not intimacy there. And I, and I find that to be really frustrating to me. And I think that's for a lot of reasons. I think partly that's my own issues with like – Especially in the queer community for yeah. for gay men, it's really easy to get sex. Right. It's not as easy to make a connection. So it, I think this idea of empathy as well is, is about fostering intimacy. Absolutely. And that's sort of being a part of, you know, lots of different parts of your life, but especially sex and how that can make sex better. Totally. I think empathy, I, I refer to it as a communication superpower. Yeah. Because it's so this, this skill set that facilitates the kind of connection that most of us are really craving. Right. I noticed that in New York especially, we have to kind of – tune out a little bit of our empathy just to function because there's so many other humans with feelings that we're engaging with all the time. Yeah. So to have this kind of dedicated time and space to be safe, to be vulnerable, to connect with other humans who care about the same things you do is a really powerful experience. Yeah. And you get to drink tea, which is soothing and nice. Totally. And I just (laughs) love the idea, too, of thinking about sex from that standpoint as well. Like sex is not just something that happens when the lights go out in a bed with two or more people and it's this, you know, kind of physical or physiological functioning. It also has to do with the brain. I mean, people have said before, like the brain is is actually your biggest sex organ. Right, right. And I think that's so true. Yeah, and even if you're having casual sex. People yeah. tend to think of casual sex as being without feelings, but that's right. obviously not true. You you may not be having deep romantic feelings, but you're having feelings. And, and the, our desires and what we want sexually are also, I think, very much connected to our emotional world. Yeah. So I, I think of empathy as being kind of this ultimate sex tip 
in totally. a way. Like being, uh, particularly with, I think a core part of empathy is this idea of a pl- the platinum rule. Are yeah. you familiar with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. tell everyone else in case they don't know. Yeah. So the golden rule, as most people know, is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right. The platinum rule is do unto others as they want you to do unto them. Yes. And that's so pivotal for sexuality because just because you love oral sex doesn't mean your partner loves oral sex. Yes. So you have to communicate and really engage with their emotional world in order to have optimal sexual experiences. Right. And taking the judgment out of it and taking even sort of like the privileging of experiences out of it. Because like you said, it's not always about what I like. That's not going to be the same as what you like. Right. So let's try and give each other as much pleasure as we can and meet each other where we're at. Absolutely. It's that overlapping Venn diagram of uh, sexy things. Totally. (laughs) Talk to me about the sex geekdom that you have. What is that? So sex geekdom is all about creating spaces for meaningful conversations about sex to happen. So when I, I went to graduate school at the University of Melbourne in Australia. Oh, cool. And when I was there, I noticed that the people doing interesting sex-positive work were quite scattered. There mm. were people in the academic world that I was studying with and learning from. And then there were people who were working in sex-positive toy stores and people who were writing erotica yeah. and people who were doing sex work. It was all quite disparate. And so I really wanted to create a meetup for people who wanted to have these higher level conversations about sex and have Mm. that shared reality where you could talk about sex without having the other person assume you want to have sex with them. Right. Yes. (laughs) Sex Geekdom is explicitly not a hookup space because I I found that it's, it's easy to find people who want to talk about sex in spaces where there's kind of that, ooh, seeking sexual partner space. And I think that's fabulous, but I wanted something that was a little bit different. Yeah. So I started this meetup in in Melbourne, and it's still running there. Other people are running it now. And we have Sex Geekdom Hubs, these other outlets of it, all over the world now. I love uh, that. Other people got the idea that they wanted to create these meetups in their communities. So we, we call the people who run those meetups emissaries. Yeah. And, yeah, we have dozens of them on multiple continents now. <laughs> cool. And so people can find out more about that by going to your website. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So I'm at katemacombs.com. And we'll include a link in the in the story as well. But, yeah. That's a great resource for people. Great. Thank you. To finish up, what would you say is like one tip you would give to people if people are listening and they want to have be having better sex? Mm. What's a good tip for them? I think a really good tip is to, to really interrogate your feelings mm. and really examine how it is that you want to feel from yep. your sexual interactions and to start identifying and figuring out how to get at what your partners are wanting to feel from sex. Yeah, totally. Thank you so much for being here. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now it's on to one of our favorite parts of the show, questions from you. Here's our first listener question. I am a woman who primarily identifies as straight. However, I find myself incredibly attracted to women. I've had a sexual experience with one woman in my lifetime, but we only dated for the summer. Other than that, I have been exclusively involved with men. I am currently in a serious, committed relationship with a man. We've been dating over two years, and I love him very much and can see us spending our lives together. However, our sex life is totally unremarkable and unsatisfactory. I don't know if this is just because of our physical chemistry, as I've had very good experiences with other male partners in the past, but it's definitely not a deal breaker. However, I rarely orgasm with him or with other male partners in the past. When I was with a woman, I climaxed every time we had sex. In my current and past relationships, I found myself having to privately watch girl-on-girl porn to get off. 
This makes me feel very guilty. I often fantasize about one-night stands with women to fulfill my sexual urges, but I'm not one to cheat. My partner does not know that I do this, nor does he know that I'm attracted to women. Only a few people in my life know about my probable bisexuality, but I'm not sure it's what I want to openly identify as. It's not that I'm uncomfortable with being bisexual. I just don't really know what to do with myself. Does this make me a terrible girlfriend? Does this mean that I'm in denial of my sexuality? Am I any less committed to my partner because I don't enjoy sex with him and would rather be fucking women? Any words of wisdom would help. Wow, there's a lot going on oh, here. a lot to unpack. Yeah. Does it make you a terrible girlfriend? No. No. I think it makes you a human being. I would say that you should have a conversation with your boyfriend 100%. about this. 100%. Uh, and I wonder, I think there's a lot that could be going on here. Mm-hmm. I think maybe part of the thrill of it is the fact that he doesn't know. Yeah. Or that it's something maybe in your mind is taboo or forbidden. Um, and maybe if you talked about it, that would sort of evaporate a little bit and it would become more of a real thing that you could actually deal with. Mm-hmm. Because at this moment, it seems like it's you're just not operating in reality at all. It's, it's all fantasy. Right. And fantasy is great, but not if it's holding you back from enjoying sex with your boyfriend. Right. Not to mention, I don't think you have to identify as bisexual. I don't think you need to get as worried or wrapped up in the labels. I think that holds a lot of people back. Mm-hmm. It's possible to be sexually attracted to women without being emotionally attracted to women. Yep. There's all sorts of things that you could fall along the spectrum. And how you identify or, or don't identify, it's really up to you. It mm-hmm. doesn't make you a closeted bisexual or doesn't mean you're ashamed of your sexuality. But I do think you need to have that conversation with your boyfriend, not only because it's the open and honest thing to do, but because if you love this person and want to spend your life with him, it seems like that would be the path to perhaps having better sex. Like, mm-hmm. if you're watching girl-on-girl porn and that's what does it for you, I'd say there's a pretty decent chance that your boyfriend would not be opposed to watching girl-on-girl porn right. with you. Like, or that. incorporating that into your sex life. I think there are a lot of options and a lot of different things that you you can pursue. Um, and obviously, you can be really gentle when you have this conversation. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like, you don't do it for me in bed, but I love you. Like, you know, it can be much more gentle and thoughtful than that. And you can ease into it. Yeah. And again, I don't think that you have to, you know, jump full steam ahead into it until you really know what you're dealing with. Lots of people have all kinds of fantasies. It doesn't mean that they are one particular orientation or not. I mean, there are a lot of straight women who love to read about or watch gay porn with you know, two men. I don't know if that necessarily means that they want to be having sex with two men. You right. know what I mean? So I think this is about you exploring what this really means for you um, and seeing how, if at all, you want to incorporate your partner into this. Yeah. And talking to your partner is also the first step to figuring out what's next, not just in terms of, of your relationship, but if this relationship doesn't work and maybe this is something that you want to pursue, you're not going to know it until you start having these conversations. Okay, moving on. Our next question comes from a listener who says, I'm a gay man and I have a crush on a guy at the gym that I visit. You and me both, buddy. <laughs> uh, I know that he's gay or queer because he was on Grinder uh, a while ago. He says, I was wondering what are some of the best tips or advice when it comes to possibly approaching him? What should I say? How do I quell the butterflies in my stomach and how do I come off as, quote unquote, chill and not so overtly, quote unquote, thirsty in my verbiage? Secondly, any thoughts on safety when it comes to an instance like this? Because it can possibly go south where he could be offended and his mask status takes a hit, I guess. 
So I think the last thing you're worried about were him being offended and safety. I think that is an issue. I've I've oftentimes not hit on a guy because I didn't know if he was gay or straight. Right. I think if you know that this guy is definitely gay, I don't think safety is going to be an issue here. I, I think, think as long as you do it privately, right? Like right. not in front of his trainer and his six other, you know, yep. dudes who he works out with at the gym. Exactly. Um, but I think that you'll be okay. I think this is a hard thing for anyone, straight, gay, or otherwise. Totally. Um, going up to someone and, and hitting on them or starting a conversation because you don't want to be rejected. It's super nerve-wracking. I think the best thing to do is really just to start a conversation. And you can feel pretty quickly if someone is interested or not. I actually talked to a guy at the gym last week. He was definitely straight. (laughs) So that didn't work out. But I could tell within like the first 30 seconds of the way that we were talking, like what was going on. So I think just start a conversation, try and feel it out. Be bold if you want. You can say, you know, I've noticed you here before. I was wondering if you ever want to get coffee. Right. Most people, especially in 2016, probably are going to say either that'd be great or I have a boyfriend or I'm just not looking to date right now. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think aside from the safety stuff, like what is really the worst case scenario here? Nothing. No. Because by three hours later, you're going to have forgotten about it. Maybe you'll have to see him at the gym. It'll be a little awkward, but who cares? Right. You don't owe him anything. It's fine. I think we should all take some risks more often. Just go for it. Just Don't be like on it. your deathbed being like, what if I would have asked that cute guy at the gym? Exactly. Maybe things would have turned out differently. Don't ever, ever do that. Okay. This next question is a little bit different. I'm a male, 28 years old, and live in the Northwest. To set up my question, I must first admit that the type of porn I really love is voyeurism, specifically hidden cameras in women's bathrooms and locker rooms. I try to be moral, and I know that by watching these videos, I am violating these women's rights. I think I enjoy these videos because there can be no acting, and you are the most honest when you don't know there is a camera. It is intimate, honest, and very sexual to watch an unknowing person pee or shower. How can I satisfy my desires but not be a total creeper? I think to start, I'm just happy that this person is even realizing that they are being a creeper or they potentially are a creeper. Right. And wants to not be a creeper. Right. Because a lot of people wouldn't even worry about that. No. they just be a creeper. Right. No, and someone's saying, this is my desire. How do I fulfill it in an ethical way, which in a sex-positive world is where everyone should start. Exactly. We've said before, there, there really are no wrong fantasies. That being said... I don't like the idea of you or anyone watching hidden cameras in women's bathrooms and locker rooms. Yeah. So how do do you deal with it? How do you have your cake and eat it too? Mm. Well, luckily, Mm. the porn industry is very creative. And there's actually a lot of porn that is amateur porn. Right. That is hidden camera porn where actually it may feel like it is. Right. But the people are in on it. So maybe you can try watching some of that, you know, so you still get the same setup and the same feel, Mm -hmm. but everyone's in on it and you don't have to feel like a creeper. Mm -hmm. Another thing you could do, too, is like Cindy Gallup, who we had on the show. She has that site, makelovenotporn.tv. Those are all real people having real sex. And that's the point is that nothing's faked. It's all very honest. So maybe you can try out some of that. I just think there are ways to, to do this. I know there's so much gay porn that like takes place in you know, locker rooms and things like that. And a lot of it is not with porn actors. It's with, quote unquote, real people. But they know it's happening. So I'm assuming that must exist for straight porn. I'm not an expert on straight porn. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> but I, I feel like it has to be there. So I applaud and salute your 
journey to trying to be an ethical consumer of porn. Yep. Um, it's good for you. It's good for women. Mm-hmm. And I think I think you'll find good stuff out there. You should write back and let us know what happens. But I think you're going to find it. Yeah. Keep us updated. That's it for this week's episode of the HuffPost to Love and Sex podcast. We want to thank our guest, Kate McCombs. We want to thank our editor and producer, Nick Offenberg. And we want to thank you guys for listening, especially those of you who wrote in. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to Love and Sex on iTunes and reach out if you have a story for us or a question. Our email is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. We'll be back again in just another two weeks. We'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye. 